Praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send peace and blessings upon our beloved messenger, Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, upon uh, his family, his companions, and those who follow them until the end of time. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. Alhamdulillah, it's great, great to see you. Uh, uh, alhamdulillah, a lot of people back. Alhamdulillah, and as as we said, like, mashallah, it's awesome. People contact me. Unfortunately, sometimes I'm not good at like immediately getting back to people. But like, if it's not canceled, it's happening. Um, and then if it isn't canceled and is canceled, then you can blame uh, someone else besides me. But in general, inshallah, uh, like the asl. Like is that we're gonna have our, our regular uh, Tuesday halakha, inshallah ta'ala. So we'll be finishing up Surah Yasin <coughs> over the next few weeks and then we're gonna start another text. Uh al Awam, which is like the second book after the book that we did together last fall. That alhamdulillah we translated and uh, translated and alhamdulillah and explained. So we'll, we'll be able to give you actually like a copy of it so you can like study and follow along. Uh, inshallah ta'ala. Um, the Qur'an, as we know, like, has a lot of virtues, a lot of blessings, fada'il. Um, and, and the Prophet ﷺ, he said like very, very beautifully, He said that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen people and those chosen people are the people of the Qur'an. Alhamdulillah. And in other narrations, like, you know, no people gather together and study the Qur'an together except that the angels descend upon them and the angels, like, can you imagine, like, right now they're making dua for you, subhanAllah. And one of the narrations, you know, the Prophet said, they will say, Allah maghfir laha, oh Allah forgive her, oh Allah forgive him, uh, guide them, have mercy on them, and so on and so forth, alhamdulillah. And the relationship that we tried to challenge ourselves with over the last year. MashaAllah, we did Surah Fatiha, we did Surah Hujarat, we did Surah Al-Jinn. Alhamdulillah, now we're finishing, hopefully in the next few weeks, Surah Yaseen, is to think about the, the concept of a living Qur'an. Oftentimes we conceptualize our relationship with the Qur'an as something in the past, or something like, I like what Dr. Sherman Jackson says, you know, like, my life is here, and my, my faith and my book is here. How do we try to bring that together? How do we synthesize the two? And how do we um, project our faith into the concerns of America today? Till now, I haven't seen one mosque in America with a Black Lives Matter sign. This is a freaking shame, man. Are we not the community of Malcolm? Do we not all sit under the shadow of Malcolm? His daughters, mashallah, still live here in the city. So we tend to, for whatever reason, fail to appreciate like where we are. And one of the goals of white supremacy, I can say this because I know white folks pretty well, <laughs> is to get us to project our salvation on the whole world so that we exonerate ourselves of any like salvation. It's like, 
can we just all get along? Then the person's not held accountable, perhaps for being implicitly in wrong, involved in evil. Sometimes the Muslim community, we do that differently though. We say like, the ummah, the ummah, the ummah, the ummah. But like, we don't take care of the issues like right in front of us. Right in front of our own block. And me personally, I don't have a lot of patience for that, man. As you get older, especially when you got kids, man, uh, your capacity to be patient for nonsense begins to like slowly shrink. And as the grave gets closer to you, you get more focus. Um, so one of the challenges like is we've tried to do, especially with Sulti Yasin, uh, is to force us to like think differently. And to, instead of like thinking about how all the old scholars argued about a verse or how these different sects argued about this verse or to try to project the meaning of the verse into like our lives. And that's why the Prophet said in the Kitab Allah Sababun, it's like a really beautiful hadith, this hadith is sahih. He said, Ali, he said to Islam that the Quran is a cause. Tarafu And an edge of the Quran, if you will, a part of the Quran is in the hands of God. And another side of the Quran is in the hands of the people. So that immediately, as a metaphor, of course, informs us that like there is a social component to all this. Like each and every one of us has like a responsibility for ta'ayush bikitabillah. How do we live with the Quran? So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with tawfiq. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us honest. When the Prophet said, ad-deen al-nasiha, the religion is like sincerity. One of the things that he said we should be sincere to is to the Quran. To be serious in our relationship with it and then serious in trying to think how we live it in a way that brings benefit to other people. So alhamdulillah, that takes us now to verse number 20 uh, in Surah Yasin. And we went through these verses, but there's a few points that I forgot to make. Allah says, وَجَاءَ مِنْ أَقَصَ الْمَدِينَةِ رَجُلٌ يَسْعَى قَالِيَا قَوْمِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ Let's frame the picture. You know, there was a city and there were three messengers sent to the city. They rejected these messengers. And then a person who's just like a normal person uh, becomes a volunteer, is motivated by his or her passion and interjects himself in a deliberate state of interference, places himself as someone who's willing to encourage people around him to follow these messengers. And last week we talked about the importance of never succumbing to your own insecurities, man. And saying to yourself like, I can't do it, or I don't have, you know, I'm not such and such, I'm not such and such, I'm not this, I'm not that. Of course, you know, if I'm not qualified, I'm not going to put myself in certain positions, but I can be assistant or a helper. Sayyidina Umar ibn Abdul Aziz used to say like, I can't, I can't be a scholar, but I can fund scholars. I can't be a scholar, but like I can somehow help position them in places of importance. I can use my privilege, if you will. I can use my power, right, to, to give them a certain type of access. And we, we mentioned how in the Quran, you think about this in community organizing, we think about this in the community, how one of the hardest things for nonprofits is really to find just people who want to volunteer, man. 
just want to participate like selfless. Allah says the people in paradise, they say like, you know, in this life, we, we provide food to the poor for the sake of God. We don't expect any type of reward from anyone, right? It's like selfless. So we noted how, subhanAllah, whether male or female, whether young or old, in the Qur'an, we find that volunteers made major differences. Some people, we don't even know their names, like this person. So we mentioned like the, the sister of Prophet Musa, right? She goes to the, the gathering of Pharaoh and she says, like, I know who can breastfeed this child. She steps up to the plate. Uh, we talked about the guy who lobbied on the behalf of Musa. This person who, we don't even know his name, he was a member of Pharaoh's court, someone who disinvests from privilege and says, look, why are you killing this person? Why are you oppressing this person? Because he said his Lord is one. Uh, even the jinn, as we study in the Surah Al-Jinn, after those jinn were exposed to the Qur'an, they come back to their people and teach them. So like, and I, I tell sometimes brothers ask me and sisters like about getting involved in the community. I love what uh, my brother Bashir Jones, councilman in the seventh ward in Cleveland told me. You've got to start by volunteering, man. Just like get involved. Like if you want to be something, be it. And oftentimes we want to be the end. So we skip, you know, all the ingredients that need to be there for it to be right. In Azhar, where I studied subhanAllah, maybe you've seen that like special kind of Azhar hat they wear. So it's like a rite of passage to learn how to wear that. Because usually it's funny when they first give it to you, you try to start out like making it look clean. You know, like, yeah, oh my God, this turban looking clean, man. But if you try it, to start out making it look nice, it never looks nice, subhanAllah. So I asked like one of my teachers, man, how do you do it? And he said, it's got to start out bad. That's the lesson behind it. Because as you try to wrap it, it's wrinkly, it's wrinkly, it's wrinkly, but that's you wrapping it right. All those wrinkles are wrapping it right. And then the last go around is smooth. So he said, to teach you that knowledge is a process and you may come into it wrinkly, you may come into it with some shortcomings, but respect the what? The process. Even though we know the Celtics are going to own the East this year, inshallah. <laughs> but it's a process. So if I look at my spiritual development, if I look at my activism, if I look at my education as a process, failure is not going to consume me when success is not going to blind me. It's all just part of a bigger opportunity. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the end of the 48th chapter, the last verse of the Qur'an, He describes the development of the Sahaba, like a seed that grows slowly. Like the stem that came out of that seed. Most ulama said, the zara, the seed is Sayyidina Muhammad. And what grew from him are his Sahaba, and they grew naturally. There was success, there was failure. They didn't just suddenly become like perfect. So respect the process. We learn some lessons from this about volunteering and engaging and not listening to our insecurities and the importance of the community to think strategically 
about entry points for people to engage. Like, unfortunately, Muslim nonprofits don't even perhaps have a strategy, as far as the mosques are concerned, for people to enter into the community, find value into the community, and participate in the process of the community. And that's a disaster, man. The second thing is that we learn from this story of this man, the idea of being a principled activist. And that's one of the challenges, right? We see sometimes the, the passion and the emotions of the activist tend to be overly sanitized by the concerns of the religious scholar. And sometimes the concerns of the religious scholar are tied to a freight train, which is the passions of the activists. So like they're both like kind of tearing at each other and going hard. But we see that the Prophet Wasallam, and in this story also, this person is not, he has a set of non-negotiables. Like if I'm honest in my work, if I'm honest <coughs> in my life, if, if I'm honest in my engagement, I have non-negotiables. If I don't have any non-negotiables, then I don't really know what I'm calling to. At the same time, the person who may be concerned about the theological implications of certain things has to have rahmah and has to have mercy. So we, we combine ideas of foundational principles with respecting sometimes the realities of life and the challenges of life and filtering them, if you will, or chroming them, if you will, with mercy. So here we see this man, he says, أَتَّخِذُ مِن دُونِ Are you going to worship something other than God? I can't do that. I can't do that. But at the same time, we see Sayyidina Muhammad وسلم, who, when people make mistakes, or when sometimes the harm is great, is able to negotiate. So, for example, when he comes into Medina and the Kaaba is built on the wrong foundations, and he says to say to Aisha, if it wasn't that your people just became Muslim, I'll order the Kaaba to be rebuilt. Imam Anawi said, this is the example of leaving something good for the greater benefit of people. Because they just became Muslim. The Kaaba is like an iconic figure to them. So to knock it down in front of them, and we already know their Islam is a little shaky, right? If he were to knock down this icon in front of them, what would happen? They may like, they may leave Islam. They may get upset. Later on though, when people like that try to re rebel, rebel, Abu Bakr is the opposite. So it's always about weighing like the overall harm, the overall benefit. The second, yeah, sure, go ahead. Because the, the, the Kaaba up until now was built, not built on the foundations of Sayyidina Ibrahim. In the story when the Prophet Sallallahu before that, when they rebuilt the Kaaba, the, the Quraysh actually rebuilt it wrong. So it's still that way. Abdullah bin Zubair, he, he built it right, and then Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, he invaded Mecca and killed thousands of people, and he put it back wrong. <laughs> Unfortunate. And, and so ulama said, stop doing it because you're turning the Kaaba into like a political, like, representation of people's politics, and that's going to like ruin the purpose of it. Um, another example of the Prophet doing that is the man who uses the restroom in his mosque. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So there, there's a few rules on this. Number one, if it's between people, like a person. 
or a small group of people that aren't going to impact a large group of people, then we should be merciful and allow them to grow into their faith. So for example, Al-Hassan al-Basri is a great jurist. He was told about these people who just became Muslim and they married their sisters. So people were like, this is haram, you can't marry your sisters. A'udhu billah, this is an abida wa nihaya. He's like, leave them until they learn, man. Like, leave them until they understand. And then once they've understood, there's this idea of emergent religious literacy, uh, literacy religious literacy. You can teach them. You can educate them. The third, if it impacts everybody, if it's going to like impact the broader society, then a position has to be maintained. So that's why in fatwa, uh, we have fatwa am and fatwa khas. Fatwa am is like for everybody, rare. Fatwa khas is like the fatwa where the sheikh goes like, yo, come here, man. Right? The yo, come here is like, I need to tell you a specific answer for you. It's not for everybody. So with the activists, sometimes maybe we need to give them s some room to negotiate certain things, to understand we don't live in a theocracy. And people understand that we don't live in a theocracy. We live in a, a very different setting than the time of Islam. And instead of tearing the activists down, have a conversation with them and ask them, man. Maybe they know something that you and I don't know. And on the other side too, why is this religious person so like, or religious scholar or whoever, like so strict on this issue? Have a conversation. Find out their, their, their wisdom or their reason for why they're taking the position they're taking. And that's the fourth quality, communication. There's a constant engagement. I don't silo myself into a situation and then create definitions for people that I'm not engaging. So we see here, qawmi, qawmi, qawmi. He knows his, who his people are. So we learn a few things from these, these verses that we covered before. Number one, we talked about the importance of like, like be secure in yourself, inshallah. And there's a difference between security and arrogance, of course. Number two is being a principled religious leader and a principled person who's engaged in what's going on. So he talked about the idea of recognizing what are my non-negotiables. So the prophet said, I tell jokes, but I don't lie. So he tells jokes, but he's principled. Number two, there are times, especially with the individuals, where principles may have to be stretched for the betterment of that person, for the betterment of a longer, a, a longer goal. Like when Abdullah bin Ubay, the hypocrite, the head of the hypocrites in Medina, and Sayyidina Umar says, Da'ani and Aqna, you know, let me cut off his head. And the Prophet's like, no, 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 leave him alone, leave him alone, leave him alone. Do you want people to say that Muhammad kills his followers? Alayhi salatu salam, so the idea of, if you will, the branding of how Islam looks. He's, concern, he's concerned with that. Then later on, when his hypocrisy is exposed to the people, and Abdullah bin Ubay tries to come into the mosque of the Prophet and during the khutbah of the Prophet, he loses his temper, he begins to yell at the Prophet, and then the people of Medina, who used to be the followers of Abdullah bin Ubay, tell him, sit down, be quiet. And then the Prophet turns to Umar and says, see what I taught you. Right, see the wisdom and why I said like, give it some time, be patient, be patient, be patient. And we said also religious leadership, like I was, I was at a gathering once at someone's home 
and we were talking about organizing and acting on certain issues. And this guy, he raised his hand and he started to say, but what about this community? What about that community? What about this community? What about that community? I said, listen, I really appreciate your question, but respectfully, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, have you ever worked with any of these communities that you're asking about? He said, he said no. So I was like, subhanAllah, like, how are you crafting questions that are rooted in just like theory? Like, we don't know if these questions are even real. You never took the time to know them. And that's why we have to challenge ourselves. Do we preach at people or do we preach with people? And that's a very different thing. So I understand who I'm with and, and who's with me understands who with, who's with me. And then the last point we said is gauging mara'at al-mafasid wal-musaleh. Thinking about the greater benefit or the harm. So that's why some scholars, they have an axiom, al-amr bil-ma'ruf bil-ma'ruf. Like if you call to goodness, it has to lead to goodness. But if I call to goodness and it harms people and it threatens them, then maybe I need to re-view my engagement with people. My experience in this is like as a convert. Inshallah, we're going to pray now. When I first became Muslim, you know, sometimes there were people that would tell me to do things. I would go home and it would create like two or three years of problems. Five or six years of trauma in my family. Because my parents were like, what the heck's wrong with you? Right? And I was like, yeah, this is haq, this is deen, this is Islam, boom, boom, boom. My mom's like, baby, I don't know what kind of religion you got into. I pray to Jesus. That, I was like, no, no, don't pray to Jesus. That's shirk. <laughs> right? But she was like, I'm not Muslim. Remember that? One day my mother told me in the kitchen, I'm not Muslim, baby. You are. Right? So it created trauma. And then with my own friends, trauma, and I'm not blaming anybody, that it took like 10 years to fix, man. So thinking through things in a wise way. Uh, we'll come back inshallah ta'ala after salah and we'll move on to the verses uh, that start um, uh, verse number 27 inshallah. But if you go back and look at verses 20 through 26, think about some of the things I talked about. Maybe you'll see some of those things as well as your own understandings. Barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.